Touchdown! Joshua Cribbs turns disaster into a score! Ugly, misformed little creature who has no purpose here, no meaning. I am a human being. Washed it down with one beer, two beers, three beers, a shot of whiskey, a margarita, and a bloody Mary. Said Stone Cold, why have one when you can have them both? Swung out and drill, deep right center, away back, gone for Tony. Irving and Curry, one on one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. Awful. How is she awful? Takes freedom. And now, Any Given Podcast with your hosts, Brendan Ward and Ethan Simpson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Any Given Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Ward, sitting here with my main man. Ethan Simpson, how are you? And we're going to go ahead and get right on into the Any Given Podcast Fantasy Football League. Drafting tomorrow night, one night before opening night of the NFL season. I can't wait to just beat the crap out of everyone. The funny thing is I can't wait to beat the crap out of you and Josh Pridemore and Ian Simpson and my dad. I'm taking out T. I'm taking out Josh. I don't even know Josh, but I'm taking him out. I'm taking you out. I'm taking my cousin out. I'm taking Ian. We're throwing Kyle in there. He getting taken out. Heidi's in there. She going to get taken out. My uncle's in there. He thinks he knows football. He's getting taken out. I'm gonna I'm gonna take everybody out. I got a special uh, pickup. I got my. I'm not even gonna get into it. <laughs> my man gonna be playing in the toilet bowl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but let's get into some real sports. Go ahead. With what do we what do we got for the Indians today? Well, the Indians we got a big weekend series. Uh, with right now we're playing the Royals, but after that we're playing the Twins and the Cubs. That's this weekend, right? Yeah, Cubs? Twin, Twins coming up this weekend starting Thursday. Thursday. So we got the we got the weekend series. We just have to get past the Royals, which I don't find that to be. I don't find that to be too difficult at all. Maybe drop one. Who knows? I think to to kind of keep keep on the road that they're going on, I, they need to win all four against Kansas City this week to start this week. Yeah, I, they won last night. And we'll see how they do tonight. They beat the Brewers, which they took two out of the three against the Brewers. Big big series win. Big series win. Obviously, Minnesota, they're in our our, uh, division. And then we have the Cubs. The Cubs are, if I'm not mistaken, third or fourth in, I believe, in the NL. They're they're right around there. They're one of the best teams in the National League. Yeah, sure. so th- so they're right there rivaling the Indians. So we need to take care of that business um, tonight, Tuesday night. We have Tristan McKenzie sticks on the mound, who the MLB just randomly made him one of the top 100 prospects today. Which he's not a prospect anymore. He's yeah, in the no. bigs. Yeah, we moved on from that. He's yeah. A- <laughs> What, what, what is he in pitchers? Because he's been playing like the Indian's second best pitcher. Right, and he's fantastic. And for a guy to come up like that, that's insane. Um, obviously, he's got a great 
uh, rotation around him with Bieber. Uh, he has the veteran Carrasco telling him all that or teaching him all that stuff. So what are your thoughts for the final 19 games? I think you take care of Minnesota this weekend and Chicago to start next week, and you put yourself in a good position with only two weeks left uh, to win the not, to not only win the Central but get a get a favorable seed in the playoffs, uh, which is going to include sixteen teams now. Yeah, here's the only thing that has been a problem with the Indians for as long as I've been a fan is. Their bats don't get hot, and then they have, like, a two- or three-game stretch where they are just scoring, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten runs, and then the next four or five games, maybe one or two runs. It's kind of annoying, but that's that's baseball. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go through highs and lows, and I think it's really it's really important during this, this 60-game season – to make sure that those highs are in important spots because you can go through those lulls against the Royals or against the Tigers or really any team that's bottom of the barrel. But if you do that against Minnesota, against the White Sox in the lineup that they have now, against the Brewers and stuff like that, and I know they didn't do it against the Brewers over the weekend, because they did beat, they did win the series and score four or five runs each game, um, but they, I think they have a very good shot to put themselves in a very good position to succeed beyond the first round. Now, if you're the seventh seed in the in the first round, and then you're going to play the two seed uh, Houston Astros, like nobody wants. I don't. I'm not necessarily worried about the Astros, but I don't want to go have to play three straight games in Houston. Yeah, I can see that. But with the Astros, they have not been producing as they have in the past. I wonder why. Yeah, no, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not necessarily scared of the Astros. And maybe the Astros aren't the best example there. Would you want to go play the Twins three times in Minnesota? Would you want to go play the Yankees three times in New York? Yeah, um, that's – yeah. You want to go to Tampa Bay with how they're playing right now, one of the best records in baseball. Yeah, um, are the Rays second? Uh, I, the Dodgers are the f- best. I record know the in Dodgers. Baseball. Yeah, I know Dodgers. And then are the Rays one. at least are the best record in the American League. I know that there might be a team ahead of them over in the NL uh, for number two. But yeah, so like you were saying, obviously going into New York or Minnesota or going down to St. Petersburg to play the Rays, that would not be ideal. But with this with this starting rotation we have, I believe that we, just on the starting rotation, we are smoothie groovy, but we need the offense to pop off. Naylor, now, he hasn't produced, but he's only played a few games here. But he's doing better than Luplo was. I was going to say, maybe he hasn't produced extensively, but he's already got more hits than Naylor this year as an Indian. He's been here a week. Yeah, and that's all we needed because it's better than first pitch, fly out, you know. Naylor didn't get a hit. I mean, Luplo didn't get a hit in his first 21 at-bats. Right, and then his first first hit was a home run. Yeah, it was weird. 
Um, and Luplo wasn't even bad for the Indians last year, which is why he returned this year. But he's been bad. Just like most of that outfield has been bad. And I think they finally found their two corner guys in Naylor and Naquin. They're just trying to see who steps up in center field between Mercado or the Shields. The yeah, Shields. I, and I like both of them. Mercado, he started off slow. The Shields has been, he's at least been a little like uh, a little uh, consistent, but I, th- I th- yeah, I think the Shields is like your flat line. Yeah, he's consistently been okay. He's not gonna set the world on fire. Mercado can, and that's what they want from him, and he hasn't really done it until the over the weekend in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean in Cleveland against Milwaukee. That was my whole big thing after the trade deadline was. Why didn't we get a seasoned vet like Jackie Bradley Jr.? We could have done a three-game trade with the Padres, the Red Sox, and the Indians. I thought if the Indians were going to move a pitcher, it would be for prospects, but 100% that the cornerstone of a trade would be a big league hitter. Yeah. And there's nothing else I could really say besides that while I don't know if they're better because they lost Clevenger, I'll take Naylor. Um, Hedges uh, needs to learn pitches. Um, I won't say pitches. He needs to learn what people like to throw. Because I don't know if you've seen, but in that Carrasco outing the other day when they had Hedges catching, Carrasco had to call him to the mound like three or four times. Yeah, and he he should sit down with Sandy and Roberto and talk with those guys. Like, look. They need, they need to actually sit down instead of him talking to them, them talking to him, and figure out, like, because Roberto knows what Cookie wants to throw. Well, And that was my biggest thing with that is, like, how is before putting him in a game, how is that conversation not had that, that Cookie doesn't want to throw five fastballs in, in an at-bat? Right. Uh, beats me. And, I, and he just kept calling for it. And, I mean, it didn't really even – become a huge thing because cookie was like yo dude give me a curveball give me a changeup, give me something that's not just this four seam fastball but even him on the offensive side even hedges on the offensive side wasn't great yeah but but roberto new team new organization i i can understand that but that's with a hundred and uh, what, hundred and sixty-one or yeah. two game season? I'm all, not sixty games. I'm all for giving Hedges opportunities right now, mm-hmm. but if him or Leon are in a lineup in the playoffs, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, but who could we really, who could we really put up in there? Would we just have Roberto every game? Uh, unless he's hurt, I think he probably should start out. He's your best defensive catcher. And he's probably your best catcher at the plate at this moment. Uh, Makes sense. I don't know if Hedges is a liability at the plate from the couple game from the one game we saw with with the Indians. And Leon hasn't can't hit the broad side of a barn. So (laughs) I don't I don't really know what to tell you about the catchers not named Roberto Perez on this team, considering Jan Gomes is no longer a catcher on this team. Yeah, that was that was one of the things. Last season when they traded Jan Gomes, that kind of threw me off. I understand that Jan Gomes is he's injury prone and he he can't he doesn't hit the ball all the time, but he was in the World Series. He was Kluber's right hand man. He was that veteran guy that knew 
what the pitchers wanted to throw, and just he wasn't a liability defensively. I saw a couple balls get past edges that I can't, my heart can't take in in the playoffs. <laughs> that is true. If I seen that in a game seven of a playoff game, I'd break my TV probably. Like it, it was just so so like I'm not gonna keep pounding the kid into the ground. He doesn't deserve that. He's very fresh in the organization. He doesn't even know the pitchers. But overall, I think they're in a good good position to set themselves up for postseason success. As long as this lineup does start turning around, and it does seem like they are, mm-hmm. um, for the first 40 games of the season, it seemed like they were just like, okay, one guy needs to hit a bomb, Framil, Lindor, Ramirez, Santana, Hernandez. One of you guys do it for us. But now it seems like the back end of that lineup is starting to string together. Maybe not hits, but sacrifices and, and fielder's choices and errors and getting on base. Like that game against the Royals last night, they scored, what, five? Yeah. None of them were bombs. They were all – and none of them were really even RBIs off of base hits. One was an error. One was a fielder's choice. One was a drop ball. One was a sack fly. And one was a, a sack bunt. Yeah, and when you're playing teams in the playoffs, they're not gonna, they're not gonna play like that. They're not gonna be playing like the Warriors or the Tigers. Like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta get it done, and you gotta get better. But moving on to basketball, because we've spent more time than we needed to on the Indians. Uh, just updating you on round two of the playoffs. Now that we're kind of full steam ahead with that, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, and the Los Angeles Lakers have been taking on James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and the Houston Rockets. That series is tied 1-1 with the Rockets taking game one. The third game of that series is Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Uh, that is post-recording for us, so we, you'll get more information next week as these series continue to go. Denver versus the Los Angeles Clippers are the other is the other series in the West. Monday night, the Clippers took a 2-1 series lead after beating Denver in game three. Um I think this could be one of the best series in all all basketball, Denver, Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a toss up for me between Clippers and then the the Clippers Nuggets and Lakers Rockets. Lakers Rockets have been going back and forth. Last game, Russ didn't look like Russ. Oh, the first is. game, Russ looked like Mister Triple Double that he is. Russ, I don't know what was going on in game two, but Russ looked like Darius Garland. Yeah, and anybody, any listener out here that knows me, I love Russ. And watching that, I was like, what is he doing? He's he's fumbling the ball. He's getting tur- turnovers like crazy. LeBron is smacking the ball, almost breaking the fake, uh, the screens that have the fake fans there. Yeah, it was... It was bad. It was a bad game for Russ in game two. Expect him to bounce back in game three. But like you said, uh, both of those series, I feel like, are going to be back and forth. I think a lot of people discredited the Nuggets just because they went to seven with Utah. But a lot of people don't realize that Utah could probably take any one of these teams left to seven games. They're that good of a team. Yeah. Uh, I, I still say both L.A. teams come out of the, come out of the West uh, to set up a Los Angeles Western Conference Finals. Headed over to the east in what has been kind of surprising. Uh, the Miami Heat lead 3-1 over the Milwaukee Bucks. 
with Game 5 starting as we speak here on Tuesday uh, with no Giannis Antetokounmpo playing in Game 5, looking to close out that series, it is very well possible that the Miami Heat are moving to the Eastern Conference Finals by the end of Tuesday night and by the time this airs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Of course, the Heat are going. Um, they don't have Giannis. Uh, they've just looked almost lackadaisical out there the whole playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I understand what's going on in Wisconsin and the social justice things and, and what whatnot that the team is fighting for um, on social media. Yeah. I, I, I get how they're distracted, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I get That's it. their home state where this stuff is going on. But without Giannis, I don't think the Bucks. I think they're going to get they're going to get uh, knocked out. But the Celtics Raptors. Now that I think that's going to seven. I think the Celtics Raptors goes to seven, and whoever comes out of that series is going to the NBA final. Yeah, I think both of these teams defensively could stop Miami. Um, I don't know what Jimmy like. Jimmy Butler is good, but I didn't think he was as good as he's made this Heat team. Yeah, I mean playoff J. Is that what we start calling him instead of playoff P? <laughs> I'm gonna continue to call him Jimmy Buckets, bro. But Jimmy, Bu- uh, sorry, Jimmy Buckets. Yeah, I'm gonna call him Jimmy Buckets. Um, but he he's somehow made this Heat team from a team that could barely make the playoffs. And I know they've got more people. They've got Tyler Hero. They've got Bam Adebayo. They've got all these other guys. But coming off a, a an off season where they traded away Hassan Whiteside to Portland, mm-hmm. and somehow, and I know they brought in Jimmy Butler uh, this year, but and somehow got better after trading away a defensive center like that. Uh, it's just a testament to what Jimmy Butler has brought to that team, and I can't really say anything more about it. So that is your NBA playoffs round two from Inside the Bubble update. Moving on, week one, baby. Week one of the NFL season is finally here. I'm, I've been scared to say it for so long. I waited to say it until today. It is finally week one. Let's go. In that, before we get to Browns at Ravens uh, on Sunday, let's go ahead and talk about what came down today, earlier today. Cleveland Browns backup running back Kareem Hunt has signed a two-year extension, keeping him in Cleveland for the next three seasons. It is two years, $13.5 million with eight and a half guaranteed. What do you think about that? I lo- I love it. Why why wouldn't they? I mean, the Hunt Chubb backfield is probably the best backfield, if not the best backfield in the NFL. And that's not me being a homer. That's me talking about two great running backs. And I love that they signed Hunt because over the offseason, everybody was yipping and yapping that he wanted out. He wanted to pull a Duke Johnson. And he's had to go on social media so many times. Like, I'm from Willoughby. I'm from Cleveland. I do not want to leave. This is my city. Like, his dream growing up was to play for the Browns. He went to, he went to college two hours away. Right? And he went to Toledo, too. Yeah. Maction, baby. Yeah, he went to college two hours away. What, does, what about Kareem Hunt's entire career doesn't tell you he wants to be in Ohio, aside from the fact that he could probably could have won a title in Kansas City? Yeah, but uh, look what we've stacked. Look what the Browns have stacked up in Cleveland. Yeah, um, if they've got a good head at head coach, they could be very good. And I'm not even kidding about that. 
I'm not, I usually let myself get too worked up about head coaches. I've done it before for Hugh Jackson, Mike Pettin. So I'm not going to get myself worked up for Stefanski. I'm not going to let myself do this. But Stefanski looks like he knows how to run this offense. I'm not going to go out and I'm going to control myself as a Browns fan. Okay, so with that being said, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Don't really go over the moon, uh, although I do think Stefanski could be just a stable <laughs> See, I, I've, I've always said that. That's why I'm, I'm going to control myself. A stable leader at that. It stabilizes a lot of what went wrong last year, I feel like. Moving on. Browns-Ravens week one. Baker Mayfield versus last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson. You've got Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the Browns' backfield. And you've got um, Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins in uh, the Ravens' backfield. Something you guys heard that, right? Yeah. Um, All right. Um, so that yeah. was a little... Um, Go ahead and do some investigating. Yeah. Uh, Luke, uh, something continue just that, fell and dropped uh, to the right of us. I was trying not to look over. I was trying to continue and be professional for you guys. But we're going to continue because right. we're recording. Yeah. Uh, we, we're going to let the cameraman figure that out. My man Luke over there. Uh, we, we only have 10 minutes yeah, left. we've so only got like seven minutes. Let's get through this. Let's, um, I'm not going to give you a, st- a score prediction. I'm going to tell you that Browns beat Ravens. I'm going to tell you Baker throws for at least uh, 275. Hunt has a breakout game. Hunt's going to break out at least a 40-yard rushing touchdown. That's my prediction. Hunt's going to have a big game. I think the Browns lose. Did I say um, Hunt? Yeah, you said I'm Hunt. sorry, I meant Chubb. I'm okay, I, yeah. Um, so I think the Browns lose. I think that all stories from Browns training camp says that it's been mostly install and not much live. Um, so I think that – I don't think they're going to get destroyed. I don't think they're going to get ran off the field – I think it'll be a close game, but I think the, the Ravens come out top just because of uh, their head coach quarterback tandem that's been together for a year. Um, however, I think that the Browns also come out of this game looking like a more mentally focused team. Oh, than absolutely. They did last year. Yeah, and that's what Baker said on the off, on the off season was there was so much drama and distraction in the locker room that he couldn't focus when he was on the field. Because Freddie Kitchens would only draw up the first, what, 10 plays and then would try to uh, freestyle it? Um, yeah, um, so so he, he would kind of try to freestyle it and just it wouldn't happen. Uh, he just didn't seem how to make in-game adjustments, seemed to know how to make in-game adjustments. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and end it with this. Uh, who do you think? Uh, hold on, hold on. Wait. We're gonna end end the brown end the football segment with this preseason Super Bowl predictions. Um, Super Bowl predictions. I I'm gonna say it's gonna come down to maybe not a maybe not the same as it was last year. I have a feeling that the AFC Championship is going to be it's gonna be between either the Titans and the Chiefs again, or here, here's where I become a homer, is the Browns and the Chiefs. And then between those two teams, 
Uh, if it's the Browns and Chiefs, I'm going to say the Browns. If it's Ravens and Chiefs, I'm going to say the Chiefs. Or I say Titans. Uh, Titans. Okay, Titans. Sorry, we're a little distracted here. Um, <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, yeah, and then I think the 49ers definitely have a chance, but also the Seahawks are up there because they just resigned Josh Gordon. If Josh Gordon can stay uh, clean, keep his nose to the grindstone, uh, they definitely have a chance. All right, so I'm not going to go with any homer picks because I'd love to say that the Dallas Cowboys make the Super Bowl. I'm going to go ahead and say that the NFC Championship game is Saints-Seahawks with the Seahawks going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to say the AFC Championship game is Chiefs-Titans with the Titans going to the Super Bowl. All right. I think they got better on defense. I think it's going to be a very defensive uh, Super Bowl this year. But finally, what do you got for me today in this day in sports history, September 8th? This day in sports history, September 8th, 1939, Cleveland Indians legend and American uh, American patriot, because he left baseball to go to World War II, Bob Feller is the youngest pitcher to win 20 games at 20 years old. Bob Feller's his career stats, he pitched a 3.25 ERA. He pitched in 570 games with... 487 games started and 22 saves. I mean, what can you say? He had 266 wins and 162 losses. Bob Feller obviously has the statue outside of Progressive Field. We have his bobblehead right here. Absolute legend. Um, so that's what I have for this day in sports history. All right. Um we appreciate you guys for coming out and listening to any given episode, every any given podcast, season nine, season two, episode nineteen. Mo- moving forward, we're we're just happy to continue to bring you more and more and more and more and more, and we're going to continue to make it better. Speaking of coming more. up next, we're going to go ahead and send you over to one of our favorite interviews. We've been we've been we've been teasing it for two weeks now. I can't stress enough how how happy we are that we finally made it happen. Colin Taylor, ex-two-time Arena Football League champion and friend of the podcast. Officially. Officially is up next. Welcoming on our next guest is two-time Arena Football champion, actor, uh, strength and conditioning coach, Colin Taylor. Colin, how are you? How are you? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me on. Good to see you guys. Uh, excited to talk to y'all today. I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so we did the uh, we did the interview a few weeks ago. Had some technical difficulties, uh, which is expected. You know, with COVID, you can't have, you know, in studio, in studio things. So it was a little difficult. But um, you know, you'll have that, and you can't really change that. So you played at Carmel, Indiana, for high school. Walk on at Indiana University. Um, last time I had my Indiana hat on, but I forgot it, of course, this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, do you want to go a little bit into how you walked on to Indiana and, and the, uh, the process to getting on the team? Yeah, man, it was quite an experience. So it, it was a while ago, so I'll kind of tell you my memory, um, you know, of what I remember from the whole situation. I graduated in 2005. So I was uh, part of the 2005 recruiting class, um, which was at the time Coach Terry Hepner's first recruiting class. 
Uh, we had gotten a new coach. We had, you know, team hadn't won a ton before that. And um, I was excited to be a part of that group. I actually um, didn't hear a ton from them from Indiana. Well, let me, I guess, back up a little bit. My sister went to Indiana. So I wanted to follow in her footsteps and play at Indiana. My grandfather was a four, four year letter winner at Indiana playing tennis. My sister was on the track team. So I knew that's where I wanted to play. I didn't want to play anywhere else. I was doing a lot of visits to smaller schools and, and other schools in the area, but I knew where I wanted to school, where I wanted to go to school, what I wanted to do. So I really didn't give myself any other options. Um, so I was reaching out to them kind of all season as my senior year. I kind of climbed the, the, you know, statistics um, of, you know, just the top receiving categories being the top receiver in the state. I was kind of making my way up, you know, top 10 first couple games, top five, next couple games. Um, and I wasn't hearing much from them. Um, and I was, I was bummed out the entire time, but I stayed persistent. Um, back then you were sending VHS tapes to these coaches. So it was something that, you know, you couldn't, you wouldn't get to hear from them right away. I would send a, a letter and a VHS tape about every three games of some highlights cut up together. And I thought I was doing pretty well, you know, scoring two, three touchdowns a game, returning kicks, returning punts, playing a little defense here and there. I'm sending them some film and didn't hear anything all season. Um, so even come to the winter of that year after my senior year, I hadn't heard anything from them, but it was, I just, I kept at it. I kept at it. I kept at it. It was just the, the one thing I wanted to do um, was go play for that team. And it wasn't until probably six weeks before the season started where they reached out to me and said, Hey, we got all your film. We love what you do. You know, we have a, we have a walk-on spot for you. Uh, just want to work you out with some guys to make sure, you know, this is, you're the type of guy we want. So I showed up um, very beginning of, of, of the school year there again, 2005 season. And I got to the stadium um, expecting to play, you know, in front of three or four coaches, maybe with one or two other guys. Um, turns out they invited 99 other guys to this, to this workout. So here I was going into the thing, thinking that I was picked, thinking that I was a guy. I had to work out against 99 other guys. Um, week later, they called me back, said I earned a spot um, along with six other guys. So they took six of those 99 guys from the workout. Um, and then starting that day from, from that day that I made the team all the way through my senior year, um, every single day I fought like I could, like I could get cut. Um, I practiced like I could get cut. I, I, I played in the games like I could, I could get cut because that really is – the approach you have to take as a walk-on. They didn't have any money invested in me. They didn't really even have time invested in me. I was just showing up when I needed to, and I was beating what I needed to when I needed to and playing when I needed to. And, you know, they didn't have anything invested in me, and that's how I think all, all walk-ons um, need to approach it because it's not easy. Uh, you know, guys get given right away. As soon as, they, as soon as they get a scholarship, they say, here, man, here's four years paid for. Um, we hope you turn out to be the guy they wanted. Uh, it was opposite like that with me and the other walk-on. So um, it, it's where I learned discipline. It's where I learned um, hard work. It's where I learned camaraderie. It's where, uh, you know, I learned really all the, the things that I use in training every day and, and trying to get, continue to get myself better every day. And then the athletes I work with now, these are the things that I preach to them. And I learned all of that just through the walk-on process at Indiana. So I was so blessed for the opportunity. Um, and, and I, you know, I think four and a half years later, if you would ask them, they would say that I took advantage of the opportunities given and I made that team a better team with me on it than, than they were when I wasn't on it. So, you know, I was a part of first bowl game in over 10 years, the 2007 inside bowl where we played Des Bryant's um, Oklahoma State team, which was okay. awesome. Um, everybody knows what Des Bryant ended up doing. Um, so just some great experiences like that. And, and 
met some, you know, lifelong friends and guys who I still talk to every day. So it was, it was a blessing to be able to do. And ultimately it was, you know, I set my, my a goal for myself and I reached it and, and my family was happy and made my family proud. And, and at the end of the day, that was the goal. That's what I wanted to do. And I'm, and I'm blessed for the opportunity and I'm, I'm blessed that I took advantage of the opportunity. And I'm now here to, you know, able to tell you guys the story about it. Yeah, that's totally awesome. That's like the mindset, like you said, just you're going to get cut. You know, you could get cut at any time. You're a walk on. That's the mindset that people that have the full ride should have, you know, because at any time they could bench you for the person behind you because they're working harder. Um, so after college, uh, you did not get invited to the combine, which uh, is very unfortunate. Um, that sucks. But you did make it to the Arena Football League, and then you went from the Arena Football League to the Indoor Football League, and then back to the Arena Football League. You want to touch a little base on that process as well? Yeah. Where do I start? Kind of a wild journey. Um, so we did our pro day back in February of 2009, and I had some teams show, show some interest. Um, the big problem for me was right before my senior year, you know, problem is, is a funny word to use. The opportunity that I had was right before my senior year, we had some injuries at safety and I had played receiver for four years and a spot opened up at safety and I, and they asked me to make the switch. So I made the switch from receiver to safety, a position I hadn't played, you know, in over eight years, um, made the switch, had some success, became a starter and started my whole senior year at safety. So I did my pro day playing safety. I then was having conversations with teams saying, yes, I'll try. I try my best to make your team as a safety, but I don't have any idea what I'm doing. Right. I'm comfortable playing receiver. This is what I've done my whole life. Um, that's when I got the opportunity to play in the arena football league. Uh, I had a coach reach out to me. He had seen a game that I played against that I played against Iowa, had a couple interceptions and a forced fumble, led the team in tackles. And it was really like a kind of a coming out party for me. He had seen that on TV. And he had reached out to me and said, hey, man, if NFL stuff doesn't work, I got a spot for you in camp. You can come play defensive back for us. So I went out there to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and, and I made the team as a defensive back. But I said the entire time, I said, hey, at some point, I'd like to get some reps on offense because that's where I'm comfortable. That's what I know what to do. Uh, made the team as a defensive back, started playing a little bit of receiver. They really liked what I did at receiver. So I kind of bounced around to two, two or three different teams. Um, just waiting to land. Uh, the rosters in the Arena Football League are a little smaller. Um, so I ended up the season, couple catches, couple touchdowns. I mean, nothing, nothing to write home about. That next year, I waited for the phone calls from either the NFL or the AFL. Neither of them came. So again, instead of, you know, kind of packing up and saying, all right, that's it. You know, I made this whole journey. I did the whole walk-on thing. I earned a scholarship. I played in the Big Ten. I, I played a couple games professionally. Instead of kind of shutting it down there, I looked for the other options and the next option was to go to a league a little lower at the time was the indoor football league and try to play and, and earn some, earn some, you know, earn some playing time there, get some film, learn the game so I can sell myself then as a receiver, as opposed to the defensive back that they knew of me in college. So played a season up in Reading, Pennsylvania, again, met some incredible people, played for some really great coaches, ended up being offensive player of the year out there, which got my name back kind of, floating around um, up in the Arena Football League where I then the next year was invited to play in, in Iowa in the AFL. Um, played in Iowa for two years, came to Cleveland in 2014, and then that's where I was finally given kind of the opportunity to start. Um, but I spent, you know, two, three, four, year, four years about bouncing around through leagues trying to figure out where, where I fit. Um, and I was just so set on, you know, 
proving so many people wrong who had told me that entire time that I couldn't do it, that I was doing the wrong thing, that I should get out of sports, um, you know, that I wasn't a good enough receiver. I should go back to defensive back and blah, 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 blah. kind of all the, all the doubt that I get. I, I, I just, you know, decided that's what I wanted to do and that's what I was going to do and ultimately got me um, again to here. But, you know, it bounced around and it took a couple different things and it's not the same path that a lot of people took. Um, but I got there and, and I got here. And, and so that's how I ended up in the Reno Football League in the in the uh, Chinese Arena Football League and the Indoor Football League and, and all of that. So um, before we get into the Chinese uh, Arena Football League, we're going to bring it back to landing in Cleveland in 2010. Like I've told you, I was at the game against Orlando, um, at the playoff game right before the Arena Bowl. Um, like I said, we got that permanently up in the studio right now, the rally towel. Um, yeah, that was awesome. You started off with the touchdown. We talked about this last time. I thought you had two, and I dropped the ball again and forgot to do that kind of research. So that's on me um, once again. Yeah. But that was an awesome game. Like I said, I uh, after that touchdown, looked you up, followed you on Instagram. So we've been Instagram following each other for about six years. Uh, like I said, back then, I was around uh, freshly into the college age, so I was drinking uh, cider beer. And your, your Instagram bio was a little offensive to me. Friends don't let friends drink cider beer, so I was a little offended. But, but that was a great game. You guys went to the Arena Bowl. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't be there. We wanted to, but we had a show here at the Kent Stage. So we had it on ESPN, though. Um, obviously, that was disappointing for you. Uh, that game, it was disappointing for everybody in Cleveland watching that one just because the outcome. But so you stayed in Cleveland and then with the Chinese Arena Football League, you went out there for their experimental season. Do you want to touch a little base on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. So played a couple couple seasons, 14 and 15 in Cleveland. And then there were there was word of starting, um, like you said, like an experimental league out there in China. And the idea was we wanted to introduce the sport that we love so much here to the athletes and the, and the fans out there. Um, a couple years previous, they'd had a kind of an all-star game, an East versus West all-star game out there. Um, and there was a game in Beijing, and it, and it was sold out, 10,000, 12,000 people, something like that. So Ron Jaworski, guy was, who was involved with the Philadelphia Soul at the time, got a, you know kind of a leadership group together, started a league out there. We were going to play six games in eight weeks. Um, there was going to be a draft where each team got to draft 21 players. Um, but the big difference with this compared to what we did was 11 of those players were domestic Chinese players. 10 of them were, you know, arena football or indoor football veterans who would go kind of teach the game. So I got drafted pretty high in the draft and ended up playing for Coach Clint Dozell, who had a ton of success in Philadelphia um, and who's, again, to this day, I mean, one of the, one of the best coaches I've ever, I've ever played with. Um, but we, we took, you know, 200 something, 300 something arena football league players out there. We paired up with three, 400 Chinese players and basically had a two week camp in Beijing where we taught them our sport. Um, it's funny cause we grow up, you know, running around, throwing footballs, throwing baseballs, jumping and falling and climbing from trees and doing all this stuff. They didn't do that. Um, mm -hmm. they just had a different culture out there. So it was so new to them, even just 
even the, the forward pass, just teaching them that and teaching them how to set up and teaching them where wide receivers line up and where defensive backs line up and who defensive backs are. And that was the coolest part about it is, you know, I would be talking, it would be myself and, and a receiver, a, a Chinese player, and I'd have a, um, right next to me a, a translator. And I would tell him, okay, this is what the receiver does. This is the goal. This is what we need to do on this play. And then the translator would translate it to him. He would then tell it back to the translator who would talk to me. And so, you know, you think you have meetings here where everybody speaks the same language. They're an hour long. Uh, practice is two hours long. Everything was doubled in time just because of the communication barrier. But the opportunity that we had there brought everybody so much closer. Um, and, and seeing those little successes every day were so exciting for us as players. When I saw a player who, at the beginning of training camp, didn't know what a slant was and couldn't catch a football, two at the end of training camp, running a slant, catching a football, getting tackled, getting up, and returning to the huddle. I mean, just little wins like that was so awesome and so exciting. It was so exciting for us. Um, so played for the played for the Beijing Lions, got to represent the city of Beijing, played the first game out there in Beijing. Then we traveled every week to new cities, ended up playing in Shanghai for the championship game, and ultimately won. Uh, we went 6-0. and We won on a game-winning field goal at the end of the game that I got the opportunity to hold for. Um, that came from a Chinese snapper, a guy who had never snapped a football before, you know, probably the biggest play of his, of his professional football career. And it was just awesome to be a part of that and to celebrate with those guys and, you know, and, and see just the tears of joy and their excitement. Because, again, they learned the game eight weeks ago and are now winning a, a professional championship game. I mean, it was just so cool to be a part of um, and something that I, I will never forget. I have uh, tattoos to represent that experience. I have, you know, um, championship rings and, and trophies and things like that um, to, to represent. But, you know, the, the best part is because of technology, I've got friends who I talk to, you know, on a weekly basis who still don't speak English, um, but we still can reminisce and talk about those times and it, they can be translated and, and it's so cool. So something I'll never forget. And then even the next season came back to Cleveland in 17 and had all those new relationships, had all those new friendships those guys who we won the championship with the summer before were watching our games on ESPN and watching the games online and having conversations with us and posting about us on Instagram. And that was all so cool. So it was such, such a memorable experience. Um, again, just another opportunity that I was blessed for um, thanks to the arena football league for putting me in that position and was able to teach and, and show people uh, the game that I, that I love. And I really think they, they loved it out there too. Yeah, I, and that's, I mean, like you were saying, those are memories and connections and friendships that you can't replace. You know, that, that's one of the great things about sports is you build that brotherhood, even if it's one season, even if it's uh, six games, you know, it's still a brotherhood, it's still, a, which is totally awesome. So you come back to Cleveland and you played the 17 season? Yep, 16, what was it, 17 and 18 season then? Well, what, 2019? No. Yeah, and I get, I get confused because of the, you know, because the years 14, 15, 16, and 17 were the last two we played there in Cleveland, yeah, after after going to China. Yeah, so, Brendan? So, so with you coming back to Cleveland, uh, failing uh, in, I won't call it failing because that's, that's a harsh word, but missing out on that, learning, learning in the loss of the championship game and then headed to Beijing and winning it and then coming back, was there that hunger still that I won't say still that like it was like I need to do this in Cleveland now? 
Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was something, um, you know, that was a conversation that we had out there too in in China. There were some players that I'd been on the team with previous that I'd played with in the 2014 and the 2015 season. And again, as sweet as that was to win, it's almost like, you know, you've got to learn to lose. You've got to understand that when you're learning, you can't just beat yourself up about it. You've got to do something. The game's over. How are we going to get better? Right. What are we going to do to learn from this? Um, when you win, sometimes it's hard to, to understand that. Sometimes it's hard to understand that you can still learn from that process. And I think that was the biggest thing when we won that championship in, in Beijing is I saw what it took to win and have a successful team over here in the Arena Football League. And it's not always, you know, coaching. It's not always X to O's, but it is always what's going on in the locker room. It is always the, the relationships you have with your teammates. It is always the, the level of communication you can have with your coaches. Um, and those little things were things I wanted to bring back to Cleveland and be able to kind of, you know, work into playing here back in America, back in the AFL with guys who have been playing the game for a lot longer, with guys who might not be very good in the kind of follower role, who the guys who want to be leaders. You can't always have everybody being leaders because then there's nobody to follow. Then it's all these different people yelling different things to do, and it's hard to figure out where you want to go. That's something that really was close to me and that I figured out being out there in China and winning was, okay, I can be a voice. I can not only lead by example, but I can lead by you know what I say in the film room, by what I what I do off the field, um, you know, and, and what I say during games, and that was things that um, I used to my benefit coming back into America. Um, as soon as we won that championship, that's the first thing I said to a good buddy of mine, Chris Deeker, who was um, our quarterback here in Cleveland for a couple of years. I said, I cannot wait to do this in Cleveland. Um, just seeing how everybody reacted, not only the fans, but, you know, everybody involved in, with the team from, you know, the, the coaches and the trainers and the players. Everybody was so happy. Everybody was so excited to, to do that and accomplish that as a team. It was definitely something I want to do. So then I dedicated, you know, the rest of my time in Cleveland to getting that and to winning that championship. Um, you know, whether it be recruiting some guys who'd never been to Cleveland to come into Cleveland to, to, to go around the city and walk around the city and, and meet some of the fans and meet some people who helped us, you know, get to where we were as a team. Um, you know, I wanted them to have relationship with them to be able to come to Cleveland kind of, you know, as a part of the recruiting process. Um, and it's something I did for a couple of years and it was something that I was dedicated to doing for the rest of my career until unfortunately, you know, they shut down um, in 18. But yeah, it, to answer your question, that was 100% the goal and, and what I wanted to do after I accomplished that in China was to do it here. So so you, with Cleveland shutting down, there was still obviously that hunger to do it just in America. What was it What was it like winning the first one with the Albany Empire? Uh, well, not the, your second title, but first one in America. Yeah, so, you know, I, I thought when, when Cleveland shut down, the original plan was they, you know, it was going to, be two years. They were come back, going to come back after renovation. I had landed a spot as a strength and conditioning coach here in Cleveland. Um, I had started working in in colleges. I started, you know, working with athletes, uh, both college level and professional level. And I made commitments to them that when the opportunity first came up in Albany to play, um, I wasn't open to it. Uh, I was good doing what I was doing. I was great being in Cleveland. I was great working with the athletes I was working with. And as bad as I wanted that championship, I didn't want to do it anywhere else. I didn't want to do it with any, anybody else besides the people in Cleveland. Um, 
obviously ended up playing two years there. I, I was convinced by, you know, a, a couple of the coaches and a couple of the players to go out there and, and had obviously a wonderful experience um, the second year getting the opportunity to play in the championship and winning the championship. Um, it really did check the final box of my professional football career that I had tried to check for so long. Um, you know, had, had checked kind of all the individual statistics and the all arena and, and, you know, the postseason accolades boxes, which were all great, but it wasn't really the, what really um, made me feel satisfied at the end of the day was the individual stuff. It was more the, the team stuff and that championship and the ring that I really wanted to get. And so, you know, that day, August 11th of 2019, um, you know, top 10 days of my life. We'll never forget it. Again, won a, won a championship in America with a group of guys who I really loved being around with guys who I can say were some of my best friends, were some of the guys who I had worked the hardest with for the longest amount of time to be able to accomplish that. Um, and to make that even better, I had I had family who was able to be out there in Albany and be able to enjoy the, the celebration with us. Um, and the city was was so loving to us. They were great with everything they did with us, and they ended up shutting kind of an area of downtown off a week later, and we had a, had a block party to celebrate. Um, you know, and it's still stuff that comes up. They still reach out and We'll do interviews here and there to talk about arena football and talk about the championship, even though it was now over a year ago. Um, you know, it was something that I still I still talk about again on a weekly basis and people reach out. And, and I, you know, I've showed people before, but I have the tattoo to represent the 32nd Arena Bowl that I'll now wear forever. And again, when people ask, it's not just to me, it's not just, oh, I got this because I won a championship. It was I put so much into this hard work and blood, sweat and tears and, um, you know, early mornings and late nights and film review and everything that, that it takes to be a champion. I did it all with a group of people I loved and a group of people I respected, um, and, and earned something that a long time ago, uh, people thought I'd never be able to accomplish. So it's something I can look back to every day, every morning I wake up and say, you know, I'm going to make today great. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can, because that's the only way you get things like this. Um, so it was awesome. Something that again, something I'll never forget. Yeah, um, you kind of uh, stole my next question out of my mouth. I was going to say, obviously, uh, which one meant more to you, winning it in China or winning it in the States? But right there, you pretty much said it. I can only imagine it was awesome, like you said, winning it in China. But to do it in the States, in the league that you, like you said, it worked so hard, blood, sweat, and tears, early mornings, late nights to get to, I can only imagine that feeling. Um, Brendan? Okay, so final question for you. Uh, we are obviously a Cleveland-based podcast, which means we talk Browns. We talk Browns football. You you mentioned and alluded to earlier that you were a strength and conditioning coach at T3 Performance Center. We obviously tie that in with Baker, and I asked you this last week. Just what is it, what is it like to work with Baker, and what do you expect from him this year? So, you know, we, we get – the opportunity to work with really elite athletes pretty often, right? Which is, which is, which is awesome. Um, it's something that comes from, you know, not only the facility we have, but the people we have in the facility, it's the communication we have between the, you know, the Cleveland teams and it's what we offer at the gym that kind of this level of athlete, um, seeks us out and comes in and finds us and wants to work with us. Um, but we've also got a staff who is obsessed with giving their, their clients, whether they be adults, whether they be kids, whether they be professionals, giving them 
all we can to help them reach their ultimate goals. So it's no different when, when you know, you're approaching a 12-year-old who just wants to, you know, make his, his sixth-grade football team or you have a guy like Baker Mayfield come in and just wants to be in better condition before he plays in his season, right? We do as a staff whatever we can do to help benefit them, to help get them where they need to go. The difference is, in this conversation with a 12-year-old, I don't need to figure out when I can block off the entire gym, when I can shut down the entire gym so this person can come in and train uh, because there aren't people trying to take pictures and video of them. And, you know, if, if you've got 60 minutes to train, you don't want your athlete spending 45 minutes signing autographs. Um, and it's something that all these guys we've worked with would be willing to do. I mean, they're such ni- nice guys. They, they know kind of the position they're put in and they know that's kind of a part of the job. Um, but getting guys, you know, like, like Baker and a guy like Mahim, Raheem Mostert, um, who, you know, kind of exploded towards the end of the year with the, with the 49ers, um, you know, getting guys like that really challenges us as coaches because we know that these guys are wanted by everybody, right? These guys could go train anywhere. Um, so we've got to give them exactly what they want and exactly what they need, which are sometimes two different things, right? We've got to give them what they need for them to get better and to, and to be able to play for all the money they're playing for. They've got to be able to play an entire season and they need to be healthy and they need to be strong and they need to be in shape and they need to show up in training camp ready to go because it's all eyes on them. Um, you know, if I screw up, it's not going to be on, on ESPN's ticker. If Baker screws up, it's going to be all over the news. So those are things that are kind of hard for us to understand that it happens, but we have to understand that it's happening in their everyday life. So it's, it's a great opportunity that we get it. Um, there's nothing else I would rather do than that, you know, than be able to help the most elite guys become even better, become even more elite. Um, but, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's just we do as much as we can do, and then the season starts, and those guys do their thing, and we're rooting for them and cheering for them just like everybody else's. You know, we're, we're big fans, um, and, you know, ultimately it's because you end up seeing different sides that other people don't get to see. And we see their good people. We good, see their good family men, and we see how they treat their wives, and we see how, you know, the relationships they have with their kids and how they greet people when they come into the facility. And it's things that a lot of people don't get to see, but it's, it's that which is what really separates kind of the best from the best, is how they treat people around them, how hard they work. Um, you know, how they're willing to punch the clock and work hard and how they're willing to do the stuff that nobody wants to do just because they know it's going to make them better. Um, so it's been awesome. Uh, we don't see them much now because the, that they're playing and all and everything's going on and all our NFL guys are back in training camps. Um, but I'm really excited to see how all these guys that we worked with do and, and I'll be cheering for them every, every step of the way. That is awesome, Colin. So I know you have to get going. So I would just like to say... We would love to have you back on the podcast. Um, I have some more questions for you that are not sports related, um, like your interview on 104.5, the team, a little conspiracy theory. Uh, maybe next time, <laughs> maybe next time we can get into the acting a little more um, like we did last time, but you have to go. So uh, you have some great stories uh, about that. So Colin, two-time arena football world champion, just an all-around great, great guy. Uh, hopefully we can say friend of the podcast. Yeah, friend of, friend the- of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. There we go. All right, Colin. Friend, supporter. Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate all you guys are doing, man. Um, thank you for reaching out. Thanks for making it happen. And yeah, next time we'll get we'll get on and we'll talk about some 
stuff outside of football. Yeah, it's funny. I, I said one thing years ago to kind of open people's minds and to try to get them thinking. And then, and, you know, now I, I, I talk about it on almost every, every interview, every podcast <laughs> I do. So I love talking about that stuff. It's super fun. Like you said, you can go back and kind of listen to some stuff. Um, and hear me talking about stuff a little more off the charts, a little more wild, but we'll, we'll do this again. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that. But for now, I'm going to run off, train some more of these athletes, um, and we'll be in touch. Right on, Absolutely. man. We appreciate you, my man. Thank you. All right. And that was Colin Taylor. As we said, two-time world arena football champion, friend of the podcast, supporter of the podcast, supporter, as he said. So Brendan, you want to wrap us up here? All right. You can follow my man, Ethan at. ETH Simpson, CGOD on Twitter, and you can follow me on Instagram at ETH Simpson. All right, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter, BWardCLE, on Instagram, B.Ward52. Follow the podcast, Twitter, at Podcast Given, Instagram, Any Given Podcast, Facebook.com slash Any Given Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube. You guys have a fantastic rest of your week. God bless. Stay blessed.